Hello, everyone. Welcome to your next stop. I'm the host, Juliette Hahn. I am, again, every episode I say this, how excited I am. But this particularly is another episode that I am super pumped about because I can't wait till you guys hear this the story and how it's going to play out. So my guest is Gail Gibford Captapon, and she is my guest. And I have to say, I'm so excited. So one of another woman that I've interviewed, Rebecca Nunez, after our interview, she said, oh my gosh, you have to be speak to Gail. So this is not like a LinkedIn connection. This is one of, and this is how I love when these stories and my, my episodes kind of come to fruition like this. So Gail, welcome to your next stop. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And Rebecca said only wonderful things. And just in like the two seconds that we were talking, I know this is going to be a great conversation. I am nervous though, but it's going to be great. Welcome to Your Next Stop. This is Juliet Hahn. I am a wife, mom, virtual coach, public speaker, and crazy obsessed dog lover. I am so honored to be able to take you into the life of someone that has followed a passion. Every week, I hope you are as inspired as I am. Welcome to Your Next Stop. I would love for you to kind of tell my listeners so we can kind of, they can put this in their brain because this is all about stories, but where you are right now, like what is your role in your career? Okay. So I live in Mexico city, Mexico. Um, I am the AVP for brand creative services, um, sponsorships and go to market for AT&T Mexico. And everybody thinks, oh my God, AT&T. Well, we're like a startup in Mexico. So when I started, we had only three years in market. Now we have six. So yeah, it's my fifth country. (laughs) Mexico now, Mexico City is my home and it's amazing. And I welcome anyone who's listening to please come to Mexico, enjoy all the beaches, but also don't don't miss Mexico City because it's a really amazing city with lots of wonderful things to see and you can eat your way through it. It's amazing. The food, the people, everything. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's actually one of our favorite destinations is Mexico when we go on vacation. So um, we'll definitely next time not miss Mexico City because we usually do go to the beaches, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So Gail, I would, okay. So I love how you just played that out. So now we're going to go back. So as my listeners are going to listen, I usually don't go write what you're doing now, but they'll understand how this kind of plays out. So can you take us a little bit about where you grew up a little bit about where you went to university? What were some of your interests and likes and all of that? So I'm a native Southern Californian. So born, raised, and didn't leave actually California until after university. So I went to school at California State University, nothing really exciting. For me, really where my, my where my world changed was when I went to grad school and trying to make the decision of where do I go. I had actually been in sales and people in sales, you make a lot of money. It's really great. And it's really hard to get out of sales because you make money and you're happy. But I really wanted to go to grad school and change you know, what I was doing and get out of sales. I wanted to be a banker. I thought that, you know, (laughs) that's the way everyone talks about, oh, you're going to be a banker. You're going to make a lot of money. It's going to be fantastic. I applied to grad school. I applied to a very diverse group 
And I actually, you know, everyone tells you, go to Harvard, go to Harvard. So I applied to Harvard and I actually got into Harvard and I was all set to go. I went to New York City and I went to the Harvard Club and I was having, you know, one of those mixers where you meet these fabulous people. And I met amazing people, bankers, and everyone was talking about big jobs and money. And there was a voice inside my head that said, this is not it, girl. Gail, you, this is not what's going to make you happy. You know, you, you make money, you know, selling is all about making money and that's not what's making you happy. And this is, these people are not really speaking your language. And I said, okay. And I left there and I called, let's call it my outlier school, which was Thunderbird. And I called the recruiter and I said, hey, by chance, do you have anything going on in New York City? And she said, yeah, there's a Saudi Arabia banking conference. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go. And she's like, no, go, really, it'll change your mind. And I went. And all of a sudden, I don't know, there was a click. I met people who were talking about global things and talking about marketing and talking about being country managers and these amazing challenges, you know, no electricity (laughs) and trying to get your work done and trying to get your product out. And I don't know, something clicked and I just sat there and I said, yes, yes, I want to learn another language. I want to, you know, do this challenge. I think this is my place. And so I went to Thunderbird and I would do campus tours. And I always said the best decision I ever made was going to Thunderbird. And why? Because, you know, Thunderbird was a very different kind of grad school. Uh, 62% were foreign. So you really got a different perspective. The arguments that you had were very global, not US centric. The way they taught was different. The people that I've met and the network that I have now you know, years and years later, we won't say how many, um, but years and years later, you know, I can travel anywhere in the world and there's always going to be a T-bird. And it's not to say that, you know, the people at Harvard, I ended up going to Harvard with my, with my team at Unilever. But for me, the things that Thunderbird gave me was basically this, you know, ability to do something completely different and, and really change the direction of my life. And you know, people think you're crazy when you say no to Harvard. I mean, people are like, are are you sure? Like my parents are like, wait a minute, this is like the big dream. This is the big job. This is, you have everything going to be handed to you. And all of a sudden you're saying, no, I want to go to this other school that's like known for global management that really isn't highly ranked. And, you know, it's different. I wasn't going like Harvard or Wharton. I was going to Thunderbird, but it changed my life and it was the best decision. And it kind of made me realize that I wanted to do this like global thing. I met a professor um, in my first marketing and I realized, wow, it is marketing. And then I created an internship (laughs) and interviewed 1,200 global brand managers trying to understand global brand management, wrote a curriculum with that professor to teach global um, brand management at, at Thunderbird and to create a more robust marketing program at Thunderbird because they were also focused on finance and banking. And though I love numbers and all of those, they're really important, even more important in marketing than ever before. That's not where I really like get excited. I think it's more about understanding that how similar we are, even though we're in really different places. And all the places I've lived and all the places that I've worked, I realized that people are way more 
alike, then we are different. We may speak different languages. We may have really different experiences. But in the end, you know, moms still love their kids the same way and want the best things for them, regardless of where you are, Russia, Japan, the U.S. So... I don't know. That's how I kind of changed my life was saying no to, to Harvard, which, yeah. you know, it was amazing. So I'm going to stop you because I have a thousand questions and I was going to interject <laughs> a bunch of times, but I was like, no, I have to let this play out. So the thing that I want my listeners and they hear this every single time is that you went to this mixer and you had a gut check and so many of us get that gut check, but we ignore it. And we just follow it because it's what we're supposed to do. And women expect, you know, I mean, I'm speaking from, and you're speaking from a woman. We do that. We're like, okay, no, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And so I love so much that you were like, gut check. No, I don't think that's going to, what's going to make me happy. And it's so important. Then you kind of followed that little intuition and that little feeling in your stomach and was like, you know what, I'm going to explore that. And so time and time again, so many women that I've worked with or have had on, they've had it and it took them 12, 13, 14 years to actually then really go and follow it because they were like, I just was scared. I was scared of what was going to happen. I mean, that had to be scary saying no to Uh Harvard. (laughs) Stupidity. I mean, beyond like being scared. I mean, people told me I was stupid. I mean, everybody, my parents, my parents, especially like, come on. Like, and I think that Part of the biggest issue is that self-talk where you sit there and you start listening to people other than yourselves. And, you know, I sat there and I said, what's the worst thing that can happen? Worst thing that happened, I have to go back and sell. I know I can sell. I know I can do that. I've always been able to find jobs. I've always been able to do that. And I kind of sat there and said, you know, if you're going to change your life, this is it. This is the moment. So you either are betting on yourself or not. And I think one of the key things, and I try to instill this in all my teams that I've had, is you need to believe in who you are and what makes you happy. And, yes. you know, more money wasn't going to make me happy. And and I don't want to put down anyone because the things that people were talking to me at that mixer were not the things that I really cared about. Right. And that's really being honest with yourself. You know, I, I think that women struggle to to really say you know this is who i am this is and and especially then because you know everyone kept telling me oh you go to harvard and you're set you don't need to to work right. hard you don't need to do this but i really wanted to go to grad school to grow not just to succeed and i think that that decision and having faith in myself that hey this is all going to work out and if it doesn't well We'll figure that out. That has kind of defined all the rest of the decisions that I've made, you know, all the different places I've been, jobs I've had to walk away from because we live a global life with a two-career family and someone always has to lead. And I think that we don't, as women and as even, I mean, even men and as professionals, I think we don't listen to ourselves enough. I think we, you know, we're so afraid that somebody, and it's getting better. I do think it's getting better. It is, that someone's going to look better. at that's going to look at our resume and go, "What the hell were you thinking? Like, why did you do this? Why is that gap on your thing?" And feeling like you have to explain everything when everything that I've ever done, including saying no to Harvard, 
has made me better, has made, it's been harder. And that's the other thing is just because it was the right decision didn't mean it was easy. And just because it was all the good things came later, didn't mean that I didn't have moments where I was sitting in Arizona going, why am I not in Boston? Like, why did I do this? You know, and I even had people recruiters, like when, when they would interview me, and they'd be like, why in the world would you go to Thunderbird? Like, and even when I went and started working at Unilever and started getting more T-Birds into recruiting, I mean, I was with people from Duke, and they would look at me you know, down their nose at me and say, ah, you went to Thunderbird. You're going to have such a hard career here because they were all dookies and everybody, you know, it's that (laughs) old boy network and everybody, but you know what? I learned great things. I had a great network and it was a great decision and it all came because yeah, I just went with my gut and probably for the first time ever in my life, I really said, yes, I can. Right. This is right. So, so two questions there. So I do want to touch on your parents and, and, and how you grew up, like, what did they do? Were they in, were they entrepreneurs? Were they business people? Um, you know, did your mom stay home? So like, where did you get that drive? Cause you obviously had a drive that you succeeded in school and you kind of knew what you wanted. So can you give us a little bit of that background? So my parents are probably the most like conservative. I mean, I grew up in a very small isolated town called Thousand Oaks. It's like a beautiful place in California, super safe. And really like, I mean, one of my friends was joking, it's the most idyllic childhood you could have. My father was a football coach. And I think, um, you know, American football coach, because now I work a lot with soccer with sponsorships. So I always say American American football. football. And American football is a lot about no pain, no gain. Um, My dad was always about if it really matters, like when the tough, he, I have it on my wall still, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And it was, it was really, I think my dad who really instilled in me that like, you, you do it. It doesn't matter if it's painful or whatever, you know, if, if it requires getting in the mud, get in the mud and go through it and stop complaining and go. And, you know, my mom worked at Pepperdine University for a very long time. And I saw a lot of students from, you know, all over the world, as well as, you know, ones that I don't want to say things were handed to them, but they really you know, my mom ran the business division and she was like the mom to everyone. They got a cold, they came and got aspirin and everything. And my parents were very big into education as that's the way that you're going to achieve your goals. And they weren't really big on excuses. Like you need to do what you need to do. Your job is that. Um, But I think, you know, my biggest influence was probably my father because you know, he was really disciplined and he changed people's lives, you know, every day. He took kids that were a mess and he made them disciplined and, you know, into a team. And I think a lot of, you know, sports, it's one of the key things that I think is really great for women um, and girls is to play sports because you learn how to be in a team. You learn how to be, I don't want to say selfish, but you learn like when it's time to pass the ball. No. And so I played soccer from the time I was five until, you know, I was too cool for that in in high school. But I think that, you know, playing sports and all of that is really important because it does give you a drive. It does give you and teaches you a lot of things you use in everyday life. No. And it's so true. And so I, I actually played two college sports. So sports are 
huge. And I, I touched on this with you before, you know, I'm dyslexic. So school was hard for me, but I knew I wanted to go to school and I was really talented in sports and I was really talented in communicating and getting to know people. So I was able to kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to fit into this world to make my dreams happen? And I think that's, you know, a lot of times, but I was a confident kid, even though I struggled in school and I had that, I had parents that were very supportive. I had a lot of friends. I came from a good community. Uh, and so, it, but it is also that internal. My mom says I was born that way. Like I was always, yeah. you know, the cheerleader. I was always like, okay, I can do this. We all can do this. But I think also in the sports, that is something that you really do. And so I, I love, and this is what I love my listeners to listen to, because when you said your dad was a, a fo- an American football coach, I was like, okay, I got that picture. Because he, <laughs> you know, and, and football is like that. I mean, good or bad, yes. right? I mean, so, you yes. know, some people could say the negative part, you know, a lot, I know people that are, ath- you know, that are not athletes that think it's so crazy to be on a team because it doesn't give you the individual, you know, there, there's a lot of different opinions about it. For me, sports was everything. I mean, it, it really yep. shaped me. It, 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 those girls were my family and I loved it. And, you know, we were there to support each other. And so you really do learn such an, uh, you know, a, a you, first of all, you, you learn work, like you have to keep up, like you need to practice Great. outside if you want to be on this team and you want to show up. So there's things like that. And it's very similar when you take that and then think about it in your real life. Uh, you know, it, it teaches you discipline and discipline is, is good. You know, everybody writes about, you know, I mean, I think sports gets a bad rap, but I think that there's one thing that it does teach you is not giving up. And that wasn't the big thing is, you know, you lose a game or you play again, again, you play another game again. So it's never like you lost forever. And I think that also gives you that ability to bounce back from issues and to also, I mean, I think that self-talk for women, you know, where we sit there and we put ourselves down you know, it's not a zero sum game. Life is not like that. And I think sports teaches you that too, because there's always a game tomorrow. There's always another chance for you to do better. And I think also in sports, you compete against yourself. So it's not that you're just competing against a team. You're trying to run faster. You're trying to do better. You're trying to do more reps. You're trying to lift more weights. All those things for me are valuable. And all of those things are things that you're going to laugh that I've seen in cultures that don't have sports, that the women don't play sports and stuff, and the women are lacking in those, let's say, those key things. But if you look at, you know, the cultures that really have, you know, women's sports from very young to this and aggressive sports like field hockey and those, the women... That's what I played, field hockey and lacrosse. (laughs) (laughs) See? But those women are much more, in my opinion, equal in their cultures, in their thinking and that because they've played and they've won and they understand it's about discipline. It's about grit. It's about, there's always going to be a tomorrow. And, you know, as much as people can say bad things about sports and yeah, I'm not a huge American football fan with all the issues that it causes. There is something in sports that is incredibly valuable and even more so for women you know one of my favorite ads is the nike ad of if you let me play sports it's one of those ones with all the statistics you know women who play sports women who learn those lessons early in life stand up for themselves they're not domestic violence they finish school they're more committed and 
you know, what you were talking about dyslexic, my, my daughter is dyslexic and my daughter has other superpowers. She has incredible emotional intelligence. She's able to advocate for herself and all of those things. I don't know. I think that, you know, you look at how you grew up, what your influences were. And I can tell you right now, I mean, I've always been a daddy's girl and the, the way in which he taught his kids to play football and to be good citizens and good people is basically how he raised us, you know, to be strong and not to back down. And he didn't raise me as a girl. He raised me, you know, as a kid. And as a I think that's also different. As yeah, a person. As a person. It's so important. Not as you, you're a girl and you can't do this. You know, and my dad would tell me, hey, you didn't give your all. I saw it. You gave up. You didn't run fast. You know, and it's hard having a coach on the side with another coach. And you're like listening to your dad. You come home and you're hearing, oh, well, yeah, that wasn't very good, was it? You know, so I think you also learn, you know, you can do better. There's always a tomorrow. And I think that is really important for women because when you're trying to balance it all, hey, you're not going to be a perfect mom every day. But hey, maybe I'm a great mom on Tuesday. I lost it on Wednesday, but I'm bringing it back on Thursday or Friday. So, and I think you need to give yourself that grace. You know, it's not a zero sum game. When I had twins, the pediatric, um, the doctor, I had them in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And he told me, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Being a mom is going to be one of the hardest jobs you've ever had. And for someone who is demanding of themselves and a high performer, he's like, you're going to (laughs) struggle. So it was really good advice, but very true. Now, I think we all need to remember that. I do. And I love where this went because where you just brought this, because this is where we could, we could literally talk for hours. I mean, because we have so, I mean, so much and you are so, I mean, the acclaims that you have all the, you know, the awards that you won for what you do is, is really remarkable, amazing. And I don't want to not talk about that, but I do want to talk about what you just touched on now, because my listeners, a lot of them are moms. You know, I do have dads out there that listen as well. And men maybe that are not for or women that are, you know, haven't, you know, been a mom yet or, but want to. So when you just said, you know, you had your twins and I love that that doctor said that that's like, so (laughs) it really is true. I mean, it really is true. true. It's one of those, it's one of those things that, and you, you know, that you, you look back, like I know I have a 16, 14 and 12 year old. And as you said, there's days that I'm like, Oh my God, I was the best mom. And then there's days that I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. I I sucked. Like I was not good. And I'm going to acknowledge it. I had other stuff going on and I just, I kind of took it out on you and I'm sorry, you know? So it's really important that we know that and we are human and, and, and that we, we all have our strengths and we have our weaknesses. So can you touch on a little bit when you had your twins, you were in Brazil, where were you, what you were doing and kind of where your life went from there a little bit? So, yeah, um, I got my dream to be expatted. Um, I was sent to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I was working for Unilever. And my job was basically to take all the things that we did with Dove um, has remade it a global brand and to, to teach the food business, how to do that. And basically all the things we learned in health and health and thing to bring it to food because food was not very integrated. They didn't work on a global scale. So I basically was a global project manager teaching food, how to do that. And my first project was with soup and I, I arrived Yeah, (laughs) you wouldn't. After you work on soup, you hate soup because at eight (laughs) o'clock in the morning, you're tasting like 26 
things of beef bouillon and you're like, mm, no more soup for me. And literally we would go to restaurants and be like, no soup. Thank you. You know, and in Latin America, soup is a very big thing. It's like your, your, um, appetizer. But, um, I actually found out I was pregnant while my papers were going through because I was the first American ever to go to Brazil to work, um, for Unilever. So my papers took a long time. I was literally making a triangle. So I would work in Brazil, then I would fly to New York and then I would go to Germany and then I would do that like for a month. And, you know, and I found I was pregnant. I was pregnant with twins in Sao Paulo in Portuguese. And it was very, you want to talk about self-talk? What the hell am I doing? I'm far away from family and friends and oh my God, I'm going to have twins. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I think like, you know, I was really lucky because my husband and I were expatted at the same time. So he was working for a company and we sat there and said, okay, we, we can do this. And I told my boss and she was like, okay. It was, I would say it was like the adventure of a, of a lifetime where you're having kids in another language that I didn't speak very well. So my Portuguese was basic, um, mainly Spanish because I was on a regional team and I was managing Mexico as my regional thing and doing all the, the global projects and yeah, it was, it, it was amazing in, in the sense I had six months maternity leave. Um, and I had probably the best doctors I've ever had or would have in the world. So I had a nutritionist. I had all the things that you don't, you would love to have in the U S, but I don't think any woman has it. So I had a nutritionist who watched my weight because in Brazil, they tell you, you know, every kilo counts so <laughs> i probably was like the thinnest like i just was all baby i couldn't fit my fingers i couldn't touch my fingers i was huge i actually went into labor while writing a creative brief and <laughs> i was laying in the back of the car while my husband's driving me to the hospital giving directions to my associate saying, okay, and you need to do this and you need to do that. And he's like, can you just go have the babies? Like, please stop. Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. So, I mean, so, okay. So you were in Brazil. So you, you touched on it for a second, but you worked on Dove. So you were in Dove and where were you when you worked on Dove? No, I started, so I started with Unilever and, um, in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I was in, I was in Greenwich, Connecticut for six years, around six years. And we launched the Dove Real Beauty. So I worked on the Dove Real Beauty and taking Dove to a global business and working with um, Sylvia Lagnato, who is the past CMO of McDonald's. She actually was promoted and they sent her to Foods to do the exact same thing that she did with Dove. And she took a group of us and like little disciples spread us all out over the world. And my husband was going to Sao Paulo. So I said, I want to go to Sao Paulo. Got it. And okay. I had just finished a global launch for Dove Bar, which was one of the biggest launches in, ever in the history of um, Dove. And she said, pick wherever you want to go. So I picked Sao Paulo to go with my husband and I ended up working on Noor. So the bouillon brand, it's soups, bouillon, 
it's one of the actually the most sold products of Unilever in terms of food. So it was it was like a big like billion dollar brand. It's really big and yeah, pregnant testing beef bouillon is not the most incredible job. <laughs> right. So we're, so you did did you have terrible morning sickness? I mean, nothing. No, that's in that's fact, wonderful. It's, it's because I was such a, let's say, a good role model of how to be a pregnant working person. There was a big baby boom after I had my kids because everyone said, hey, if she can do it with twins, I can do it with one. So pretty much, I think the entire regional team all had babies like about a year afterwards. <laughs> right. But that's amazing. But so that's the other thing. And this is where it kind of takes us back to your childhood and your father right? It was like, okay, I'm pregnant. I am not like a woman that's going to lay around and be like, okay, take care of me. I'm still doing what I'm doing. I'm just pregnant. Now I just have this other thing that I'm also growing and building inside of me. So uh, that's why I love touching on a little bit about um, the way people grew up because it always kind of goes back a little bit. Like, so you really got some core values (laughs) and really deep core values from your family. And so it was like, okay, I'm pregnant. I'm going to do it. I mean, but that's one of the reasons why you see people in that, that are that successful like yourself because of kind of where they were and how they developed. I mean, not everyone has a great childhood, right? So I'm not saying no. that like someone with a bad childhood can't do it, but there's something in that person's childhood that it, it, it creates them and they help them get actually where they know that they have to, you know, kind of either get, re- they don't mind getting rejected because they've been rejected so many times or, yep. you know, they, they know the grit because they know how they have to work hard because of this and that. So I love how you kind of played that out. So you had the babies, you were in, um, in Brazil, which I absolutely love Brazil. That was one of our favorite, um, one of our favorite trips that we went as, uh, my husband and I, before we were married. And then you had the babies, you had six months off, which is amazing. Six months off and they didn't have a job. They, they didn't have a job for me. It's not that my job didn't exist, but while I was, while I was pregnant and having kids and taking six months off, my husband got another job in Mexico. So he had sold, he was, um, he was the lawyer and he was doing a deal and he sold his company to a Mexican company and they were going to make him general counsel and he would be a general counsel under the age of 30. So those are kind of the things you say, okay, we're going to Mexico and they didn't have a job for me in Mexico. So they offered me time. So they gave me a sabbatical and I, we moved to Mexico. So we moved to Mexico when the kids were four, were five months old. And I imported my mom <laughs> to help us because you arrive, you know, jet lagged and, and yeah. everything with twins. And so my mom came <laughs> to Mexico with no Spanish and she did, she really helped us like, let's say, get everything together. And it was nice to have the, let's say the time off to be able to get everything set in Mexico. And then every time my VP, because he managed Mexico as well, he managed all of Latin America, he would come to Mexico. We would sit down, he would review all the jobs and he would say, no, I don't have anything for you. And we kept going on like that. And finally, toward the end of my sabbatical year, he said, you know, I'm not going to find you a job. And I said, okay. And I said, that's all right. So then, you know, my time with Unilever ended and my next door neighbor who happened to be Brazilian, who happened to be a trailing spouse because her husband worked for PepsiCo. She was interviewing at Coca-Cola and she had just taken a job, another job 
not Coke. And they called her back for a job. And she called me like, you need to go now. I'm like, where am I going? She goes, you need to go to Coke. You need to interview. They're going to love you. Oh my God. And so I did. I, I walked into Coke and I interviewed and met probably two of the most amazing people I have ever met in my life. And all the Coke people on the Coke family in Mexico, the be- it's like the best division of Coke to work in are amazing. And that's how I came to work at Coke. I just literally, my next door neighbor said, go. See, that's and amazing. I went. But, and, and you know what this is? And cause we talk about this a lot on this podcast is that, and I truly believe in God, but whatever your path, we all have a path. We all have a path. Yeah. And whether it's the God or universe that you believe in, it really, it's when you're meant to be doing something and you listen, like, as we were talked about, you listen to that gut check right there, like before yeah. Harvard. And you were like, Nope, this is not it. And it's just the path that we're meant to be doing. So like your husband was meant to go to Mexico because this was also your path. This was also what you exactly. were supposed to be doing. And that's why you guys were put together when you were put together. And so I love that. I mean, you could have said to your, your neighbor, nah, I don't feel like it. Right. <laughs> I don't want to, but it was like, oh, I, or I'm nervous. I don't know what I'm doing. No, but you were just like, again, because of your worth ethic, you were like balls <laughs> to the walls. Yep. I'm going to jump in. Cause you also had confidence in what you were doing because you were in the path that you were meant to be in and you were just owning it and, and going. And I, and I think a lot of it was, it, I mean, to your point, Juliet, is just things kind of just happened. And instead of fighting it, instead of going, oh, my God, and I had excuses, trust me, I didn't have a resume in Spanish, my resume was in Portuguese and English. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't have time. And she's like, I don't care, do it in English. And I'm like, okay. And I think even when the conversation with the HR person from Coke, I'm like, hey, I'm here because my neighbor is really going to kill me if I don't like follow this through. And she's like, no, you're perfect. And you need to, to meet the, you know, the hiring manager. And, and yeah, and I got to be honest, I'm very, very lucky because I think that, you know, whether it's fate or whatever, I also think that women need to help women more because we don't mm-hmm. always help each other. And when I say I, I got one of the best gifts from someone who, you know, is a very controversial um, manager. My, my boss was a really hard, hard um, woman to work for, but she gave me her mentor and he probably you know, changed my life more than anything because he, I, she gave me a project because, um, in Coke, you don't really change Coke. I mean, it's Coke and I worked on brand Coke and it's not like you sit there and say, Oh, I'm going to change the brand. You really don't. You, you work within a very tight framework, but she gave me this project about obesity and she gave me the opportunity to present to him the strategy that I created for Mexico And he loved it. And he ran Latin America. So we created it for Latin America. And then he's like, he loved it so much. He brought the CMO, the global CMO of Coca-Cola and the sustainability officer in to Mexico. And we, I presented to both of them and we talked through how to mold this into, you know, let's say the bigger global strategy against obesity. And I mean, she didn't need to do that. She didn't need to, I mean, she could have presented my work like everybody does, but no. And then he, I presented to the board of directors and I presented to, you know, the head of the group of Latin America and, you know, everyone kept giving me these 
these opportunities where they didn't need to. They could have presented, you know, my strategy. They could have presented all my findings, but they gave me, the, you know, that opportunity because a lot of it is the passion. Because I was so like, passionate this is how about we're going it. to do it. Yeah, and I think for me, the passion, that enthusiasm, and when you can give people that opportunity, and I do it every day with my team. If I don't need to present, and they can present to you know to the board, to the president, even to our CM CMDO, I want them to present because that's important. I got them all media trained so that they can talk about their work. Because if you love what you do, it comes through. And yes. I think ha- being able to talk about what you built, what you did, what you figured out sells better than me saying what you found, what you're passionate about and that. Yeah. And it's so important. What you said there though, is when you are, when you are passionate about what you're doing, it comes across and people see it. And that's what I want. That's what I want my listeners. If you're in a job that you don't love and you just wake up and you're doing it, find that little thing that you're passionate about and start exploring it. You don't need to quit your job. I'm not saying that. Explore it, see where it goes. And that's what more people in this world need to do because there's so many people that are unhappy in their their positions because they're not in the path that they were meant to do and they're stuck and they don't have the confidence. I mean, that's the thing. You also have the confidence in yourself that you're like, you know what, I'm going to let my, my team shine. There's so many bosses that, you know, are, are not confident and they're nervous. They want to keep their employees down, but they're never going to grow either. So you could see, no. you know, what, just what a beautiful person you are, where your heart is and how you are passionate and what you're doing. Stay tuned for a quick message from my sponsor. Hi, my name is Shari Hodes, and I'm the president of Aura Limited, a proud all-women-owned brand marketing and global sourcing agency. Simply put, we provide fashion-forward swag for any and all of your branding needs. Please visit us at www.auralimitedspelledout.com. So I I would love also for you just to touch now, because I know I told you this is going to be 30 minutes and we're a little (laughs) over, but I don't want to shut it down. But I would love, so like what you're doing now and, um, and how long you've been with, with AT&T. So, um, I actually have to tell you how I got to AT&T because I think it's really, um, especially for your listeners, especially for the women who sit there and think, you know, I'm never going to get back into the world after a gap thing. When, so I moved to Amsterdam for five years. So we left Mexico and when we moved back to Mexico, one of my friends was working at Coke and he would be my boss. And it's not good to work for someone that you, that's your friend. So I said, you know, I'm not going to go back to Coke, even though, you know, I could have gone back and probably, you know, gone and worked with him and we would have been great. It just wasn't my, my feeling. So I went and I really doubled down in school, what a lot of moms do, right? You go and you're you're in PTA and you do these things. And I volunteered for a committee. And I we were having our first meeting of the committee, and I met the general counsel of AT&T, who had recently become a board member um, of this school. It's the uh, Amer- an American school in Mexico. And we just started talking about, you know, Starbucks, actually. And (laughs) then we had the meeting, right? And I didn't think anything of it. I was asking questions in the meeting. We had a new headmaster and I was talking about the PR plan, about crisis management. I mean, I was my typical, these are the things I know, this is what I do. 
And afterwards, he came up to me and he said, oh, my God, you have to come and work with us. I don't care if it's a project or we can hire you full time, but you have to come. And I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. And he's like, will you go to breakfast with, you know, the CMO? And I said, sure. You know, this guy was amazing. And I said, yeah, no problem. It's not, I I don't have much to do. So, (laughs) okay. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of working with a couple of friends who are opening Etsy shops and, you know, things like that. Nothing exciting. And so I went and had breakfast with him and the CMO at the time um, of AT&T. And we started talking about things and I started drawing stuff on napkins. And I said, look, this is how you need to rearrange your marketing team. It's not going to work the way you have it, you know, and Hey, if you want to do a project, I can help you do a project. And I didn't think anything of it. And four months later passed and I got a call. <laughs> I was skiing. I was on the ski lift and they said, you know, the president of AT&T wants to have a meeting with you. And I'm like, is he coming to Argentina? Cause I'm in Bariloche. And they're like, no. And I'm like, but I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> and I had dinner with the head of HR and the C- CEO. And he says, do you want a challenge? And I said, sure. We shook hands and he goes, okay, we'll figure out what job you're going to get. I'm like, Oh, that's, I love that. So how long were, how long was the gap that you weren't working? Uh, Probably about a year. And so that is, there's so many people that get worried about that gap. I mean, I actually just, my episode that just went out this past Monday, she was talking about if she was, she was in a news producer. So like she was paranoid about that gap. And so she was creating things. She became an entrepreneur because she like was like, oh, I'm just going to do little projects. And then it actually, the projects, they were, people were like, you have a you have a company. And she's like, oh my God, I do. (laughs) And so then that's what (laughs) she went, she went into, but it was all because of the gap because so many people, I mean, I, I did it. You know, when I, after my kids got a little older and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to go back and work in New York city. And, and what I was doing before I was in alternative advertising. And I was like, I just, I'm not going to be able to get to their games. And my husband, you know, works and yeah. uh, we don't, we don't have the people. So I'm not going to do that. And also thinking, I'm like, what am I, I have, I mean, the world has changed digital, you know, all these things that I can learn, but I don't, I don't know. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and that's when I decided to go into business for myself. So I think it's another important thing, as you said, that people hear that, like you can take gaps, just also keep yourself like, don't become like a sad gap person, right? A depressed gap person yeah, I mean, you're have well, moments, right? But it's also about, I mean, I don't think that women val- value those volunteer opportunities. Okay. Yes, so you're right. if, if, if you're like, um, I now am a board on the board of trustees for the school and I actually replaced him as he went back to the US. I replaced <laughs> our general counsel. But I think that, you know, you 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 don't value the people that you meet at school or the connections that you make. And I mean People at school, they trust you have the same values as them. You have the same this because you're sending their your kids to the same school. And particularly, you know, abroad, private schools, you know, that's where you kind of, that's your, your crew, that's your community. And that's the best place to tell people, hey, guys, I'm looking for a job. I'm on a WhatsApp right now of like the top. I mean, honestly, these women are way above me. They're amazing. And we post all the time, hey, I'm looking for a rock star brand person. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And they're all, you know, CMOs, um, general managers, very high up and lots of great companies in Mexico. And it's our own little network. And I think that, you know, we talk ourselves out of being able to say, hey, yeah, I'll help you. And 
I didn't know that there was going to be a job. I had given up. I mean, it took from the time I met him to when I actually started, it was eight months. So right. it's not like, you know, I also wasn't, you know, oh my God, I have to have this job. I mean, I was sitting there saying, hey, at a cocktail party, I was like, hey, yeah, I went and I met, but I don't think anything's coming of it because, you know, we went to breakfast a really long time and the guy's like, no, no, that's how we work. We're really slow. And I'm like, okay. Right, right. Um, I, it can be anywhere that those opportunities fall into any anywhere. But I also think those things you love to do, um, whether it's like animals, you know, I have a friend, she loves animals and now she has the biggest, um, what do you call it? Kenneling, like yeah. pet, she kennels yeah. dogs and it's big here because people go away and they have, don't have a place for their dogs and they don't want to take them. And right. it's a huge business. And she did it because she loved dogs and she couldn't find a good place for her dog to stay. So she created one. And then she started, you know, building bigger, bigger. And I think we just have to stop stopping ourselves. I think your listeners need to believe, you know, and I know it's really hard with like in the US in particular, you have the great resignation because people are realizing that this is not making them happy. And I went to Harvard for exec ed. So I did actually go back to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a book that I really want to recommend. So it's my old Harvard mentor. His name is Clayton Christensen. And he did, so we went back and I took a class with him of disruptive innovation with my team from Unilever. So Unilever sent us there and he was honestly pretty cut and dried. And I really, you know, I learned a lot from him and I stayed in touch with him over the years, but he wrote a book called, how will you measure your life? I'm reading it because I always get it wrong. And Here's a guy who worked at Harvard for like the majority of his academic career. Years and years, he saw high performers and he saw people getting very lost. They were like really high performing and they were really successful, but in the end, they were unhappy. And this book, for me, when I read it, I mean, I instantly emailed him and said, Oh my God, this is, you know, life changing. And it's because, you know, it's not about the title or the level or this. I mean, I could feel that I'm a failure because I look at the people that I worked with and they're all really well-known CMOs in the US and I'm not, right? I mean, I, I have a wonderful job. I've traveled and lived in wonderful places and I have provided my children and my family with some you know, unparalleled experiences, but I'm not a CMO. And I'm not at the level that my peers or the people that I started or graduated from grad school are at the same level because I wrote, I went a different way and I did different things and I prioritized my family, sometimes my husband's job over getting that next promotion or that next thing. And that's okay because honestly, I think I've done like the stuff that I've done. I mean, really, truly, my my resume is a very unique <laughs> work of art, you know? And right. I think that, you know, it made me, you know, who I am. It made me the mom that I am. It made me the partner that I am. You know, would I go back and change some things? Probably. But, you know, going to Harvard isn't one of them. Um, leaving Coke isn't one of them, you know, choosing to be a global nomad and, and, you know, follow my husband when it was necessary and leave, 
you know, opportunities on the table because that was best or not work. You know, I think in total, I have a, like maybe seven years of gap, you know, in my, in all my years, but I look at my kids and, you know, they're 14 and thriving and it's worth it. And I think that's to what you need to tell your listeners is you need to make your own path. And I don't think that it's a title or that it really is you, you know, write your eulogy. Now, I think someone said that in the seven habits of highly effective people, write your eulogy and you'll know what you're focused on. No, that's so true. And one of the things that you touched on, uh, which I think is so important because this is, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot is being aware of your surroundings and talking to people and hearing what people's stories, because that's how you network. And when you learn about people's stories is when things also start going in your brain. Like, oh, I never thought of that. Or, oh, so when, right, the mom is, is, is volunteering in schools. I mean, I did it for years and I probably look back and think, you know what? I probably talked to a few people, but I didn't network like I do now. Like, you know, especially through my podcast. Yeah. I mean, and this is what I love, but I didn't do it back then, but it's also okay. Cause it wasn't my path back then. That's not what my focus was. And so it just nope. wasn't meant to happen there. But so when, when someone is like, you know, I'm at these events and you're like, you know what, I'm curious what this person do. Be curious, ask questions, ask people what they do, because people also love getting those questions. They like to be like, Oh, oh, I would love to talk about what I do. And a lot of times that's going to, you know, make some sparks. So before we wrap this up, can you just like rattle off some of the awards, not to put you on the spot and embarrass you, (laughs) but to rattle some of the awards that you have won? So one of the ones that actually, I, I felt the most um, kind of like happy about was in 2020, <laughs> the height of the COVID, um, I became woman to watch in Mexico. Now, why does that matter is because I'm not Mexican, you know, I'm a, just a girl from Southern California and to be recognized in that way. And then right after that, in 2021, I got um, Mujer Fuera de Siria, which is like women out of this world, women are out of the category. And I was recognized along with the president, our we have a uh, female president in in AT&T in Mexico, which is the first ever for a telco um, in Latin America. And to be recognized along with Monica was really big. Um, I won the first Golden Effie. I've won um, for Unilever. Um, I'm not for Unilever, for AT&T Mexico. Um, in AT&T, I've won a lot. We won... Um, Oh my God, like seven awards for grassroots just, that we just won. amazing. I mean, because you're also helping yeah. people, which is really cool. You know, like what you're doing is your work is helping people. It's helping people, commu- oh, yeah. you, know, you know, and which, which is really, you know, is it, it just has to make it even more, you know, um, heartfelt, if that means. So one of, one of the key things that you just said is really, I won an award that has never been given in AT&T in the U.S. or in Mexico, and it's called the I3 Partner Award. They've never given it to a partner, someone who's not part of the corporate social responsibility group. And that's because during COVID, what I did, because I control sponsorships and media and brand, I pulled all advertising out and I donated all that money for the month of May, which is one of our most important because Mother's Day in Latin America is one of the most important days. It should be in the world, but it's not. But in yes. Latin America, <laughs> it's huge. And I took all the money and basically we fed um, more than a million families. Mm, that's um, amazing. Who, because of COVID, right? You all of a sudden you had a job 
And a lot of these people live, you know, paycheck to paycheck, like a lot of Americans do, and probably some of your readers do and listeners. Now, it's really critical that these people got food for their families and all of that. And so I was recognized for doing that because no one ever thought to do that. Like no one ever thought, hey, opportunity is not important in this crisis. We didn't know how long the crisis would last. But, you know, so I've been really lucky. I mean, I won the first social lefty for Coca-Cola in Mexico when we launched the plant bottle. Um, and I mean, top hundred women in Coke, a lot of wonderful things. I have been recognized everywhere that I've been in Unilever and Coke and also in AT&T. And again, a lot of that is because I've put together really incredible teams who are amazing. And my team in AT&T is no difference. And, you know, it's, it's been a fun, it's been, honestly, it's been, a I, I have had fun in every job that I have, that I have gone to and every adventure that I've taken on. And I've been lucky enough that I've been recognized, you know, as, as that. And that's why I think, you know, if you want to talk inspiration is having someone who I have jumped around from country to company to everything. And, you know, one of the most important thing for me is about having women believe in themselves that they can do it too. I shouldn't be an exception. I should be the rule that everyone should be able to do what I do and what I've been able to do. And I tell my team that I've, you know, we launched see her in Mexico, which is really necessary. We also forged a, a landmark, let's say, relationship with the Red Day Refugios to stop domestic violence because of COVID and all the issues, the toll that it's taken on women. Because you can't be your best if you're not safe in your own house, right? Right, right? And I think one of the key things, I mean, for your listeners to really know is COVID has been harder on women and moms, working moms, stay-at-home moms. I mean, we've taken the brunt of it. and we have a lot of work to do together to get us back to where we need to be right. And where we've been, because we're now going to be from a work fit workforce in the U S the lowest since the eighties. So we need to support each other and we need to get back to where we were and we need to get more women back to doing, you know, great things and making a difference in the world because, we're the ones who do it, to be honest. I mean, we're the <laughs> yeah. we're the engine that makes the world go. And all the places I've gone, all the places I've lived, it's women really, in my opinion, who make that big difference, you know. And the next generation, the ones that we're raising are also the ones who will really fundamentally change the world. And hopefully, you know, the conversations that we're having here, they're going to be like, oh, mom, how could you talk about those things? That's like you know, so passe, those are all, you know, we've had all those rights and done all those things. And, you know, we don't need to worry about those things anymore. It would be fantastic. Right. I know. Right. I mean, and that's the thing. And and you could just hear your passion and your, and your love for what you're doing. And so that's the other thing is, you know, we, we all need, we, we really need to do that. We all need to tap into it and figure it. And, and not everyone is as lucky that they find it as early, but it also just means it wasn't meant to happen then. Like if I was doing this back in the day, I wouldn't have the same passion because I wouldn't have the, the same love for this. And it doesn't matter that I'm 48 and I've literally found like what I will do <laughs> until the day I die. Um, because 
because this is what I love and I'm obsessed and I love highlighting women like yourself and putting, giving you a platform that can get your story out to different, you know, all different countries. You know, we have a lot of people in India that listen and a lot of people in the Asian markets that listen in Russia. And, you know, it's, it's those things. I want those women and, and the United States, you know, everywhere to listen that we can be better and we can help each other be better. So just like your neighbor was like, I, I have a job for you. I think you need to go interview. Think about that. When you hear something, yeah. think about the, the network that you have of the women, the friends that you have and just say, Hey, do you want to do this? I, you know, I have an opportunity that maybe would be good for you. We, we all need to be better for each other. And I so agree that, which, and I just, I love it. And I thank you so much for coming on your next stop and sharing your story. Again, we could go on for hours and I, kn- <laughs> I know we, we could. could, we definitely could now. And, and to be honest, I mean, this is so wonderful for me. One, because I can do it in English and I don't sound <laughs> silly like I do when I speak in Spanish, but, um, no, I, I am really passionate about it. And I am also, I mean, I really want people to understand that if I can do it, why can't they? And, you know, the simple things about, you know, age is just a number. We said that all the time in Dove Real Beauty, it is just a number and it shouldn't be something that you stop because, I mean, our kids are going to live to their hundred. So, you know, to pick one thing that they're going to do for the rest of their life, it's not so why should we limit ourselves? We can reinvent ourselves multiple times in multiple places. And, you know, some of the most amazing women I met were in Asia. Some of the strongest iron women um, that I met in Asia, because, you know, in Dove, we worked all over the world and talked to women about beauty and everything. And it was amazing. Yeah, we have a lot of work to do, but hopefully... You know, we took one small step today. <laughs> we definitely, we definitely did. So where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Where is like the place? I would say LinkedIn is probably the best. So my name, Gail Gipford Captapon, is probably the best place. And you can friend me. And I try to post, um, I post a lot of things about like see her and links like that. And, you know, Pretty much everything that we're doing in AT&T and also celebrating things that my amazing network is doing as well, because I have a lot of amazing um, friends around the world. And my posts are sometimes in a lot of different languages. So you can use Google Translate to look at those as well. But I think that's the best place to find me and, and send me a note and message me and look forward to continuing that conversation. Yes. Thank you. And this will be in the show notes. So you guys, you know, you can, you can find it there, but Gail, thank you again for joining your next stop. You guys, you know what to do. You like review, send this to friends. I want you to think of three friends in your network that need to hear this story. They need to hear how Gail found what she loves and, and saying no to Harvard was a huge thing, but think about the young women in your life or the older women, because as we both just said, age is a number and you never know when you're meant to find what you're lo- you, you love. And so this episode actually might spark something in someone. So rate, review, share, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Gail. You're welcome. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends and join in each week. 